Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Harmony Corinne Memorial Tournament. <laughs> Can we call this the Harmony Corinne Memorial Tournament? No, because he's in the tournament. <laughs> well, he's going to lose, though, but we should, like, make it a he's special He's also alive. Memorial means he's dead. <laughs> I mean, we did, we did name our action heroes thing at the Arnold Schwarzenegger Memorial Tournament, even though no, he, he is also still alive. Shouldn't it be like movies? The, shouldn't it be the Harmony Corinne Annual Tournament or something like that? Or, like, Ultimate Tournament? Uh, okay. No, it's it's the Harmony Corinne annual tournament until after the first round when he's out. Then it's the Harmony Corinne memorial tournament. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of that. Harmony All Corinne right. ultimate tournament and then the Harmony Corinne memorial tournament. We're keeping this in the podcast. <laughs> Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Real Talk Summer Quarantine Edition, I guess. We're recording this over Zoom, so we apologize for all the audio inconsistencies, but we're here with you, bringing you all the movie discussion that you missed, or didn't, from this spring semester at Arizona State, but we are back, and we've got a pretty fun thing going on here with these podcasts we're going to be recording weekly and putting out over the summer, and that is a 64-man 21st Century Directors Tournament. Just like no NCAA tournament this year, but we got you with these 21st century directors. Now, the way we set this up, which is we we, we couldn't have, it was going to be impossible. We really did think we were going to have 16. And then we made a list of 64. We're like, we'll cut it down. Oh, wait, why don't we just do 64? And so that's what we did. Yeah. Yeah. More shout outs. (laughs) Plenty of legends in here. We'll hear from one of those in the first round today. But the way we, did, we set this up is we ourselves picked 64 directors and then separated them by those that were nominated for a Best Director Oscar and those that weren't, randomized those two groups, and then seeded them randomly based on those two groups. So the 33, there are 33 that were nominated for a Best Director Oscar, are randomly put into seeds 1 through 33, then everybody else the rest of the, rest of the way through to 64. So this is all random. So when you see a great matchup and you're upset because someone good got knocked out in the first round. It's not our fault. Exactly. (laughs) There is one director though, that we seated purposely and we will, we'll get to that in a moment, but there are all kinds of directors. And this is remember based only off of their 21st century work. So it could be a director that has directed movies since the 1970s, but this is only the movies that they directed in the 21st century that count. Yeah, and that's a key, because for Scorsese, you don't get Goodfellas. For Tarantino, you don't get Pulp Fiction, but you get everything after that. So The Departed, Kill Bill, all that's worked. Everything since the year 2000, basically, which makes it a much more fun, interesting, and up-in-the-air tournament. Because if we just did, like, their entire careers, then it would just be, like, Tarantino and or Scorsese in a walk. And that's not as fun. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So... If we just limit it to this century, then it's a lot more fun. So today we'll go the first with the first eight matchups. What is that? The West or the East? I don't know. We need a, We did a movie related like uh, region. How about the Snyder Cut region? Yes, <laughs> because the Snyder, Snyder Cut region is our first is in our first matchup. So the <laughs> the Snyder the, Cut region. The Snyder Cut region. <laughs> I'm for it. 
Yes. So the Snyder Cut region comes up first here in what we are calling the Harmony Corinne Ultimate Tournament. Yes. So, so the Snyder Cut region of the Harmony Corinne Ultimate Tournament. And then after we go through with these first eight matchups, we're going to come at you with a couple of movies that we've been watching here while stuck at home, some new movies we've seen, and maybe some that we revisited as well. So stick around for that after the first eight matchups of the Harmony Corinne Ultimate Tournament. And it starts right now. Matchup number one, the one seed. Remember, these are random seeds. Barry Jenkins against the 64 seed, maybe not so random, Zack Snyder. <laughs> All right, who wants well, to make the Batman versus Superman argument first? Well, here's the thing with Zack Snyder. We haven't seen the Snyder Cut yet. Therefore, I find it unjust that he's here in a 64 seed. He needs to be much higher because we don't know his genius yet. This was the news of the summer, not the coronavirus. It was the release of the Snyder Cut. Like, this is some groundbreaking stuff. It's going to be like four and a half hours long. It's not even going to be a movie anymore. It's going to be like a six-part television series on HBO. Oh, HBO Max, I should say. Uh, so I guess technically the Snyder Cut doesn't count since it's not going to be a movie. <laughs> I guess it doesn't count then. Never mind. Well, yeah, we, that, that, that's fair. But I, I guess the, Zack, the only Zack Snyder case is that his movies make a ton of money. His and last few movies have made a ton of money. That's And a bunch of random people like 300 for some reason. Yeah. And he's going that up against someone case. who doesn't have a like very popular or extensive filmography yet, really. Yeah, um, even though he's a genius. But For those who don't know, Barry Jenkins, small details. Barry Jenkins is responsible for Moonlight. Um, if Beale Street could talk. If Beale Street could talk. I remember Beale Street. I just blanked on that. Um, Beale Street's a great movie. It is a great movie. and But other than that, really not a lot of his work is known. It's a lot more smaller stuff, even though those two movies are fairly humble in their own rights, too. While Zack Snyder is like throwing like Trojans and um, weird CGI like bug things at Batman on the screen and stuff like that. It just couldn't be two different people in the first round matchup. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't hurt that Snyder had Batman attached to his movie. So, yeah, I personally think Man of Steel was a great film. <laughs> I mean, Zack Snyder, to me, I haven't seen Watchmen, but I have not liked the single Zack Snyder movie I've seen. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, he did cast Gal Gadot in the Wonder Woman role. God like boy. he's done some competent, like decent things, and he has a vision. I'll give him that. Like, but overall, I mean, compared to a guy like Barry Jenkins, is one of the best directors of his generation. That I don't think it's even close. I mean, Bill Street could talk. I remember just the color that Barry Jenkins was able to use in that movie. Really, that was what blew me away the most about it. I think. And then Zack Snyder, obviously, is not a big fan of color. Everything is grayed out. It is, it, it's kind of frustrating to watch sometimes. We're watching Superman, like, not in, like, a bright blue and red because everything is so gray. Um, and when you're watching a Zack Snyder movie, you're, you know you're watching a Zack Snyder movie. It's not, you know. He does have a style. He has a style. Um, so definitely worth being on here, I think, popularity-wise, but there's, there's no way. 
Yeah, very Jenkins-tastic at the nod. I mean, so, Moonlight but, is arguably the best movie. So for some, is the best movie of the last decade. And Bill Street, which I wish that movie was a little bit better cast. I think if the, the I think the two main, main lead roles in that movie were slightly better actors. It could have been like a great, great movie, but it's still an amazing. It's still an incredible film to watch. Yeah, I, yeah. I think this is easy. Barry Jenkins, moving on to the second round. Now, who will contend with him in the second round is one of the most interesting matchups of our bracket because it is the one matchup that is between two directors that have been nominated for a Best Director Oscar. It's the only matchup in the first round that is so, and that is Denise Villeneuve against Danny Boyle. Ooh. Um, this is really, yeah. For I think those... before yesterday, you could have made a case for Danny Boyle, but I think this, from, this is my, this is my, um, my vote would be Villeneuve, though. For those unacquainted, Villeneuve is the director of Arrival, Sicario, Enemies, our enemy and prisoners and he's going to be directing dune coming up here and he did blade runner 2049 most recently mm-hmm. and danny boyle was well known for 127 hours slumdog millionaire now yesterday and then the good steve jobs movie not the bad one <laughs> he also directed train spotting which of course came out in 1999 so that doesn't count here but just to give you an idea of his filmography okay. i'm going villeneuve here too i mean Obviously, Danny Boyle has a pretty good, really good filmography, but I don't know. I, I, I am a big Villeneuve fan. I loved Sicario a lot. Um, 2049 is really well regarded um, by many people, and uh, I was pretty fascinated by Enemy, which I saw last night, um, which is a bonkers movie, by the way, but it is really, really interesting about self-inflection, um, which I thought was interesting. Um, I don't know. There's a clear vision with Villeneuve, I think. I, and Boyle has it too, but there's like something really kind of visceral about the way that Villeneuve works with um, the camera. And so, I don't know. I'm just a big fan of his movies. And I think he's perfect to direct Dune. I'm going to go with Villeneuve here if I had to pick. I'm also going um, with Villeneuve. I think it's funny you just mentioned direction, Alex, because yesterday I almost had zero direction. <laughs> just the way the plot kind of ran around. <sighs> Um, and the ending to me just barely made any sense. So I think it's really funny that you mentioned direction, but I'm going with Villeneuve here as well. Um, I'm going with Villeneuve, but I think it's a lot closer than people think. Um, and I think we're going with Villeneuve because he's he's pretty much had a perfect track record this the, during the century. But with Boyle, like Slumdog Millionaire is arguably the best movie out of all the movies these two have made. Um, and that is just such a, that is really such a, genius movie that ended up winning best picture um 127 hours uh, ethan you mentioned you saw it last night i, I really really enjoyed that movie i think the franco performance is incredible and i'm a big fan of steve jobs that's a really really good movie as well so i mean Boyle's an excellent director just yesterday really didn't work and uh that that's really the the separator here is that villeneuve really hasn't made a bad movie i think prisoners is kind of flawed but like that's a really dark and interesting film in where Hugh Jackman is brooding and Jake Gyllenhaal plays a cop. I don't know. It's kind of interesting, but I'm going Villeneuve. Yeah, I, I agree with the, th- the three of you. I have to go with Villeneuve. A tough pull for Danny Boyle in the first round. Mm. Uh, he, Danny Boyle's a, an excellent director. He, he's, he has such an interesting style about him. Uh, I agree with you, Koki. Steve Jobs is a really good movie that a lot of people have forgotten about, I feel like. Um, unfortunately, his most recent script. movie was 
yeah. was not great. But I mean, Villeneuve just the just the trio of twenty forty nine arrival and Sicario back to back to back. That's hard to argue with. That that's pretty elite stuff. And then you've got Enemy and Prisoners before that as well. I, I don't I don't even know if this is totally close, but I don't think it's a fault the fault of Danny Boyle. I think it's Villeneuve all the way. Like a really close five game series, sort of. Yeah. If I, I think if this was like a seven game series, I think it would go six or seven games. Hmm. I mean Slumdog Millionaire won best picture. That's true. That's like that true. was and it deserved and it deserved to like be in that conversation too it wasn't a fluky it wasn't like a green book situation that was an awesome movie and steve jobs i mean that's a sorkin script that movie's really f- interesting and I, I i just think denny boyle got the wrong end of the stick here you're right you're right it's a tough draw when you go up against the only other oscar nominated director in the in the thing it's really tough <laughs> exactly all right so denise villain away He's going to have his hands full with Barry Jenkins in the next round, but he moves on. On to our third matchup. It's Sam Mendes against Michael Mann. So Mendes, of course, you'll remember from recently, 1917, also directed Skyfall and Spectre. So, you know, that's out there too. (laughs) His most well-known movie might be American Beauty, though, but that's not in the 2000s, so that's not going to count. But just to give you a look at Sam Mendes, then Michael Mann, he's done a, a lot of things. Heat is his probably most well-known movie. That's the 90s. Collateral, Miami Vice, Public Enemies. Among others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is an interesting matchup. Two completely different directors, two completely different styles. Mann's more action and manly stuff, and then Mendes is really uh, more of a theater actor. Um Revolutionary Road is is a really interesting movie that he made. That's kind of the breakout role for Michael Shannon. Um, it's Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet teaming up again in a better movie than Titanic, and <laughs> it's 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 just a really interesting like relationship movie, and really really intense. And you kind of see where that background theater background comes from with Mendes. And uh, I mean 1917. I mean that movie really came close to winning best picture as we we've talked about that movie quite a bit Heavily so, favored. yeah when Thank it you. comes to sorry I was just gonna, you mentioned his theater background did you know he helped produce shrek the musical uh. oh he wins then that's it <laughs> it's over then all right we can move uh, on and skyfall's a great movie so it's one of the best if arguably the best um, James Bond movie. So, you know, Mendes is an excellent director, even though we kind of gave him some, you know, some slack during the Oscar season because we wanted Bond to win. So, that's still, a, that's still a great movie, though, regardless of whether Parasite was better, which it is, but that doesn't take away from the fact that 1917 is still a really good movie. And Mendes did a really neat trick with the, the one shot thing in a war film um, where it kind of takes you through like the day of you know, these guys on this mission. And so, I mean, it's kind of a brave thing to do in like, cause we've seen Inuritu work with it and Birdman, but this like doing it in World War One, also a war that doesn't get a ton of movies about it compared to like World War II. Um, so I don't know. I thought that was a really interesting choice. I would go Mendes, Mendes here, um, especially cause you don't get heat in there from Michael Mann, even though Collateral is a really fun movie. Um, 
I, I don't know. I think that just the fact we've seen that we have this again, not totally their fault, but also we've seen Pika Mendes during this time and it's really gotten to high uh, heights while we have Michael Mann, his, uh, you know, he probably his most well-known movie was not part of this bracket. Yeah. That you wouldn't have any weekends out of here. I have not seen Ollie, so I cannot speak to that movie. Ollie's pretty good. It, it should have been probably a little better, but that's a pretty good movie. Um, but I would take Mendy's. I, I just think that the 1917 and Skyfall combination is is pretty tough to beat. Yeah. Yeah, it is tough. He also did make Spectre, though, which is not a good James Bond movie. It's, in fact, no. it's pretty bad. It's kind of bad. And he's a couple other smaller movies. Jarhead's fairly well known. But a couple other fine-ish smaller movies that he made. Whereas at that same time, early in the 2000s, Michael Mann was making Miami Vice and Collateral and Ali. But since then, Mann has dropped off a little bit. Public Enemies, the John Dillinger movie with Johnny Depp, is not particularly great. And then I have not seen Black Hat, but I've heard Black it Hat is, is not a very tough good. beat. Yeah, it's a tough beat compared to, he, according uh, to everybody. Mann was a producer for Ford vs. Ferrari, though. So like no, we're just talking about directing, though. I know. I'm just saying. He did work. But it is a note to, to take into consideration. And so it's just interesting to see that juxtaposition of a dude who started off the decade really strong and kind of fell off versus a dude who was, you know, okay at the beginning of the decade and then has had a nice nice end to it, or the, cent- or the century, nice end to this, the 2010s and then into the 2020s. So I, I, I lean with you guys, Sam Mendes, but I think it's a little closer than we think. I think it's yeah, definitely six or seven games. But I would agree. Um I think the peak is too high. I think Mendy's doing Road to Perdition. Um that's a movie I haven't seen yet. I want to see because it's like Paul Newman and Tom Hanks in a movie together with directed by Sam Mendes, and that just sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah, I mean that that has to be mentioned as well. So I, I think I think Mendy's has had a slightly more well-rounded and then with the Oscar stuff as well. Like Mendy's getting an, a Bond movie Oscar, like many Oscar nominations is like really hard. That's like really hard to do. Bond movies are not Oscar movies. So you know, just wanted to point that out. I like that point. No, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I, I think that pretty much seals it. Unless there's any final thoughts, I think Mendy's is moving on. Our next matchup i believe our fourth matchup of the day is between bennett miller and sam raimi this is also a weird one this is kind of an interesting one miller's his big three are fox catcher moneyball and capote and then raimi is well known for the three original spider-man movies spider-man's one two and three and And also and drag me to hell and drag me to hell which apparently is a good movie, even though all indications say it probably shouldn't be. Apparently that movie is very good. Evil Dead's apparently good too. Raimi's a good uh, horror director, which is why it's kind of weird that they gave him Spider-Man, but it ultimately was successful. A lot of people love the first two Spider-Man movies, and I like the first two a lot quite a, too. And then I don't really blame him for three flopping. Um, that was more of a Sony trying to put too much into that movie. Um, so, but it does go against his record for sure. And Miller doesn't have a movie like that on his resume. The problem is Raimi has two because he also has Oz the Great and Powerful, which. Oh, I forgot he has Oz the Great and Powerful. Oh, yeah. I saw no. that in theaters when that came out. 
Thoughts on that movie, Julia? <laughs> well, they tried to do an interesting backstory on on Oz himself, and I, you know, I was how old were we when the movie came out? Like ten or eleven? About? Oh, I thought we were a little older than that. Maybe I'm tripping. Maybe a little older. Maybe my siblings were about that age. But I remember we all saw, it and I kind of walked out really confused. I don't think it made a lot of sense. Hmm. Interesting. Um. Just to speak on Bennett Miller a little bit, I just think Moneyball is better than like anything else Sam Raimi's on. Definitely, like, that's a great movie. Um, it's arguably the best sports movie in the last decade. You could make the case at least. Wow. Um, and yeah, I mean, even though Foxcatcher is a really weird movie where Steve Carell's doing like a totally serious performance, doesn't totally work. And Capote is okay, but like Moneyball is like. That's a great movie. That's a really, really great movie where Brad Pitt got his Oscar stolen, and I don't know. He's been nominated for two Best Director awards this century, so it's it's hard to argue against Ben and Miller um, for this one. That's, hype- that's in my that's in uh, that's in my book at least. I'll even hype up Capote a little more than you did. That, that's a very good movie. You've seen it? I have. Oh, interesting. What do you think? I think it's a really good movie. It certainly has its flaws. It, it drags in a couple places, but Philip Seymour Hoffman lights it up as usual. Duh. I, I thought it was solid. I, I'm not going to probably ever rewatch it again, to be honest with you, but <laughs> I didn't, I enjoyed watching it. Huh. Fascinating. Yeah. So Bennett Miller has been nominated for two best directors and neither of them were Moneyball, which I think is a great movie. Great, great movie. So uh, I'm going to the Bennett Miller. Against- yeah, the big thing for Raimi was like bringing like Spider-Man to the big screen for more audiences and people really liking those movies as well as also dabbling in the horror genre doing pretty well at that. So, but Bennett Miller probably has the higher high. Um, two Oscar nominations is hard to argue with too. No, I, I think it goes to Miller. I'll make the case for Raimi though that those first two Spider-Man movies are very good at a time when superhero movies aren't what they are today you have to take yourself back to that time it's not it was not doing the same thing when he did it as it would be to make a superhero movie in this age so yeah, to do what he did was when he was like swinging through the city and stuff in the train sequence and spider-man 2 it's all really good stuff also sam raimi may be coming back to do a superhero movie he is in talks to direct the doctor strange sequel i would love that i would love that's that i cool. think that's a great fit yeah he also signed up to do a horror movie too, which is you know interesting. You get kind of both sides of him. Raimi's interesting, but I think Miller wins a really tight one here. Agreed. I agree. So Bennett Miller is off to the next round. Now we have this is just an unfortunate seating here again. I hate this one. I hate this. Yeah, this this is just this is random. We didn't do this. Jordan Peele against Ryan Coogler, two rising stars in the director world that fortunately are going to meet each other in the first round <sighs> this is so tough because obviously peel just has the two but they're both awesome and get out's the best movie of either of these directors in this century uh, well are you sure uh, i was gonna say Co- i was waiting for kogi to come <laughs> in on that well you have well, fruitvale I, station or? i have fruitvale station as my number two movie of the last decade so that i mean i know that's a flaming hot take hot cheetos take but like I, I was obsessed with that movie. That movie really like moved me in a in a very profound way. Um, and I don't know. And, and 
I like Creed a lot. I don't love Creed, and I like Black Panther, and I rewatched it recently, and I didn't, I didn't like it as much as I did the first couple times I watched it, but I don't know. I about Peel with it's it's tough because it kind of depends on how good you think get how much better you think get out is than everything else cooler's done you know i i wouldn't say it's that much better than fruit fruitvale station's really good um and coogler has more good movies than peel does obviously because peel's kind of more just getting started it's three movies to two so we're really only looking at like five no, we're only looking at five movies well let's say well let's say we like let's say we we say get out and fruit bell station or even let's just say that for a moment right then it's us versus black panther creed and creed 2 no creed 2 black... was he did not do creed 2 did he not direct that okay my bad no he did not direct creed 2 oh, it's black panther and, no. and black panther and creed then versus us and he did not he was involved but he did not direct it black panther and creed versus us and give me black panther and creed in that situation, uh, I don't barely, but I just I don't know. It, it's tough to say because I, I just I'm obsessed with Peel. But like in terms of like style and talent as a director, I, I think I think Peel's better with the camera. I think it, like, he the does stuff he color, does, yeah, with color in us and certain shots where like someone's in the foreground and someone's in the background is just some stuff that I hadn't really seen before either. Um, there's some wacky stuff in us, and I, I think it really drives or it really makes the movie even more enjoyable. It's just that Peel brings it to another level. Behind but the I camera think it, too. Yeah, like behind the camera, I, I think Peel's better, but I think it, when it comes to storytelling, I think Coogler's a little is just, it's just a little better. I so and this agree. is a, so this is a tough one. Um it's kind of what you prefer. And, which and, but I, we also have I think the the, the the tipping point there is that we have a little bit more from Kugler, just a little bit, but we've just seen a little more from him. Like Peel had a great, great, great movie with Get Out, and then Us was definitely a drop off from that. So where does he go now? It could immediately shoot back up. It could be at that same level as Us, which is still a good movie. It's just hard to say with Peel because it's only two movies. Right, you're kind of waiting for Candyman at this point to come out. But he doesn't direct that either. He's not directing He's that. Produ- He's producing it. He's producing it, okay. Well, Black Panther 2 is the only thing Coogler's doing next, but I kind of want to see, like, uh, an original idea from Coogler, just because if we had, like, an original idea mm. other than Fruitvale Station that go along with, like, the Creed and the Black Panther stuff, then we'd have a better – it would be much easier to, like, compare these two. But uh, yeah, cause I say. the because Coogler has one really original thing, and although Creed really reinvigorates what the Rocky franchise is, it also is sort of like starting that franchise over. You kind of have your path that you want to take. Um, hmm. Black Panther, I, I thought, I, I still like Black Panther a lot. Yeah, I didn't like it as much as next time I saw it, but I still really respect that movie, and it's doing some stuff that superhero movies just don't do. Um, I'm going with Coogler, I, and I think the, the my main reason, my new main reason would be just like who who has influenced the um, the movie industry more than Ryan Coogler in the last what like six years, seven years since Creed came out. 
and the, he reinvigorated the Rocky franchise, single-handedly reinvigorated the Rocky franchise, and then made one of the most interesting Marvel movies, period. That turned into like a $2 billion product. So I, I, that, that's a talent. And he did it without like, and he did it with like real meaning and purpose to it. So I don't know, it's, it's close, but, but that, but that would also, be my decider. But also in that light, horror was really kind of dipping with like Paranormal Activity 7, essentially like that coming <laughs> out every year and Saw 12 and stuff like that. And now there's like a new wave of horror directors who are reinvigorating the horror thriller genre. And Peel is like really leading that charge with like Ari Aster and other filmmakers. So it's, it's also reinvigorating something else too. So, you know, they, you know, you could say Kugler reinvigorates the Rocky franchise, but Peel is like leading a charge and really revamping a whole genre in its whole, in itself. Mm. So, uh, I'm gonna. I know you give it to Kugler. I'm gonna give it to Peel and let Ethan okay. be the tiebreaker here. Or, um, or Julie, Julie, what's your vote? Be the tiebreaker here Peel. too. You're on oh. Peel too. Oh no. I like us better oh, than Black Panther. Interesting. Okay. I am. This is gonna get really interesting because I am a notoriously not head over heels in love with us, but that has very little to do with my argument actually here. I think. To your point about Koki, about how Kugler was able to do Black Panther and Creed, you know, reinvigorated Rocky, add on to the Marvel franchise. It's the way in which he did it. There's a yeah. way to restart the Rocky franchise with Sylvester Stallone that, and there's a, actually a lot of ways to do that that is not very good, not particularly interesting. It doesn't have a lot of emotional weight to it. Kugler found the perfect way to do that while still incorporating, and there's also a way to do something in the universe where you don't include Sylvester Stallone in a meaningful way and kind of just move on with your own vision. But he was able to meld the two in such a way that I think was very impressive. And then Black Panther is a, it's a really good superhero movie. And like you said, does things that other superhero movies don't, which is important, especially at the time it came about in the Marvel situation. It was, it was needed to have some, something different in there. And he was able to do that. I just think I've seen more from him. All things being equal on Fruitvale Station and Get Out, I like the two other movies. Ryan Coogler's done better than us. So I give the edge to Coogler. But that means we have we a tie. A fifth, we need a fifth tiebreaker. We need a, we need a fifth vote. Um, I almost want to like leave this be and put like a Twitter poll up. What do you guys think? Sure. I, I'm, I'm fine with the Twitter poll. I guess that's the only real way we could do this, although I'm afraid that when we get deeper into the rounds, we're going to end up be doing this a lot. Uh, that might be the case. Well, we we'll have more movies friends. with most of these other, what, like, though. Brandon King has to say about it or something. Oh, is Brandon King the tiebreaker? That yeah. actually might be, that might be the move. Definitely. I like that, yeah. I am I like sending a, a text to Mr. King as we speak. It's the, <laughs> it's the phone a friend option. We, we talked about Slumdog Millionaire. Who wants, yeah, who wants to be a millionaire? There we go. <laughs> All right, there's a text into Brandon King. Really his close. opinion. This is, a, this is overtime of game seven right now between Peel and Kugler. So I guess we can move on and then come back once we get an answer there. Yeah, while, while they go to OT, uh, matchup six is getting ready to tip off. And that's Guillermo del Toro against James Wan, which is another funky matchup in this first round. It's, it's one of it's those that should be obvious. But I don't know if it is. I don't think it is. You're a big James Wan guy. 
Alex. I, I love um, James Wan, and I'm, I am going to defend him here. But I do like Guillermo del Toro quite a bit. Um, and he does have the Oscar-winning picture, despite what you guys feel about The Shape of Water. Um, the Shape of Water is a bad movie. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I don't get the Guillermo del Toro thing, so I kind of don't want to talk a ton about him from my standpoint, because I, I just kind of have a weird hot take. Um, and But with James Wan, it's like, he's really talented with the camera in his hands. He's not a great storyteller, but he's, or very like deep. He's, it's a lot of flash, but the flash is entertaining. He's an entertaining filmmaker. He's a good, really good popcorn filmmaker. He'll, he'll get people in the seats. Um, Aquaman 2 is fun. Fast 7 is a blast. And and according to you, at least, that the, all the, the conjuring stuff that he's done is is also really good as well. That should that should be his main argument because those are probably his better quality movies as opposed because he does know how to make a fun popcorn flick, but he's also like can scare the heck out of you because the conjuring is pretty terrifying, um, and uh, Insidious is I really entertaining in my opinion, and the first Saw movie is also very good until that movie became until that franchise became murder porn, but that was under other directors. Um, I mean, would you so say he just... kind of changed the way horror movies are made today? Like, there's kind of a switch in the type of horror movie that we see with the way, with his sort of directing style. Would yeah. you say that? Yeah. Um, and I would say, like, when I talked about, like, Peel and, like, Ari Aster bringing, like, the thriller elements to, like, a new level, um, <laughs> like, a lot of the paranormal stuff was getting a lot really dry, but a lot of that was... I mean, wasn't the wand stuff. It was more of like the Paranormal Activity 6 movies and stuff like that because The Conjuring's, say what you will about The Conjuring universe having a lot of flops, but the two Conjuring movies themselves um, were really eye-opening and probably the, the top, two of the top 10 horror movies of the decade for sure. Um, and Insidious 1 was very good too. Um, mm. it, it, it like kind of reinvigorated the like, paranormal horror stuff too so i i don't know i i you know with one he understands how to scare people del toro is weird because he's kind of done a lot of different things but yet they all feel like del toro in a sense i that like, yeah pacific rim is a good movie it is that probably shouldn't have been but it was I have not seen the Hellboy movies. They're good. Mea They're Koopa, good. Mea Koopa. But then fun. I he did the Shape of Water. I don't I don't get that movie. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, Koki's giving me thumbs down. I kind of agree. I, and then I, I hate the Shape of Water. I, I just I just don't like it at all. Yeah, it's know. weird. And then Pan's Labyrinth, which is better than the Shape of Water, don't get me wrong, is also kind of weird. It's very bizarre. It's just I, weird. I kinda liked it the more I thought about Pan's Labyrinth. Um, I know Koki wasn't as hot on it. Uh, I, 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 I took me, I had to think about it. I don't know. I just it's don't a, like the uh, idea. Empty, and then you kind of have to absorb it. I, and I get that Guillermo has made some interesting films, but the, being sake for the, for the sake of being weird, being weird for the sake of being weird is always something that just, really, I don't know. I don't know if he's weird for the sake of being weird on a lot of these. Um... You know, he just, it, it, there's a style there. There's sort of a, you know, he has a fascination with monsters, you know, yeah. but he likes intersecting yeah. that with real life. He does a good job of um, putting like deep meanings into his films. I, I just don't like his visual style at all. 
it just doesn't work with me or is storytelling style because there's, there's a difference between the substance you put in and what it turns out to look like and and flow like and i just don't like his flow of storytelling it doesn't connect with me you know, um, I, 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 i'm with you it's not that he's a bad director that's not what i'm saying i don't get it it's just not for me yes yeah. and so that makes it hard for me to judge him because i know that i'm like okay i can see where this is technically good but i it's not my cup of tea i like it i like how like with like hellboy and pacific rim it those are like more kind of sticking to like bigger movie stuff while like you know more personal things stories to him like the shape of water or pan's labyrinth will go more off the rails um but i kind of like figuring out what he's trying to tell with pan's labyrinth that was the entire movie i was trying to figure out what the point of that entire movie was the entire time yeah um and ultimately at the end it's like you know innocence dies in war is kind of the point of that movie um which is interesting and heartbreaking um I like Del Toro quite a bit, but I think I'm going to go with one here just based on the amount of good stuff that he's produced. Although Del I mean, Toro, I like Del Toro's bigger movies, but I like like Hellboy better than I like Aquaman, let's say. Well, that's the thing I want to bring up with Juan is he's so versatile. He goes from Saw, which is a tiny movie on no budget, to Aquaman within 14 years, which is a massive movie. And I liked Aquaman. There's not finally a DCEU movie that didn't stink. And James Wan was able to do that. I think that's more impressive than we give him credit for. I mean, I mean, I was, I'm impressed with what he was able to do with Aquaman. You could still, still tell there was studio influence there, but he was able to work with it and put together a quality product. And then Fear of Seven is a great action movie too. And I like that. I, Sorry. Oh, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just, I like that point because Saw is just like t two people in a room for like the entire movie essentially. And then Aquaman is just CGI fest explosion. Um, but both are very entertaining in their own ways. It's incredibly different. Uh -huh. I respect both these directors. I don't love either of them, I guess. I guess that's what I want to say. But if I had to vote, I'm voting for one. But what do you think, What Julia? do you guys think? Um, I honestly, I haven't seen either of these directors' works, really. I'm not really into, you know, obviously, like, Saw or some of, the, like, the action-style movies, like, with the Fast 7. Um, Aquaman's cool and all, but <laughs> Juan also, like, he wasn't the director, obviously, where he worked on The Nun, which I kind of find to be funny. Well, I mean, the Conjuring Universe, he's gonna know, have a little but... say in all those. <laughs> I, I, I imagine James Wan was not totally thrilled with the nun. That would be my guess. I can't imagine. He created the character, though, because he put her in Conjuring 2, and then they gave And I'm sure he loved what they did with her in, in the nun. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I don't know. Like I said, I don't really know much about these directors' works. I just haven't seen a lot of what they've done. Ethan, what you got? He picked Wan, right? Did you, did you pick Wan already? Alex? No, it was Koki who picked one. Koki picked one. Okay. Uh, I lean one here. I mean, Guillermo Del, Del Toro has done, is super influential, but for my personal preference, which in the end is what I have to compare them uh, in this round, I, I have to go with one. I'll go with one too. I mean, it, I, I think it's close. That's why we've talked about it for quite a few minutes because Del Toro is very influential, as, even though. You know, we're not the biggest fans in the world. I like his stuff, but 
yeah, I think this is the right choice here for this country. All right, that's mm. the first director who was not nominated for an Oscar moving on. Huh. Del Toro won Best Director, actually, right. for Shape of Water. So, ew. Our first upset of the day. Hmm. All, All right. right. Now we're on, on to the seventh match of two more to go here. This one is Steven Soderbergh against Matt Reeves. Um, I respect Matt Reeves. I think the Batman movie is going to be cool, but Soderbergh in a walk because this guy at the beginning, just this, the first two years of the century wins it for me. Is the, he gets nominated for director twice in the same year with Aaron Brockovich, which is an okay movie, and um, uh, Traffic, and he wins Best Director for Traffic. He beats himself, and then the next year Ocean's Eleven comes out. It's like he was on a roll at this time and he's made and ever since he's made really good movies and i think he should go pretty far in this in this bracket overall i'm a big fan of his work um i've really gotten into his films during this quarantine and i i, I love soderbergh so I, I that's my vote easily soderbergh made a, a good movie about strippers that's all you need to know <laughs> magic mike's a great movie yeah it is it is he also made a movie that's weirdly um, uh, eerily, like, you know, connected to now in Contagion, too. So, um, and Contagion's a good movie, too. So, I, you know, I, I love the Apes 4, our, our trilogy. Um, I'm very excited for the Batman. I like Matt Reeves quite a bit. But Soderbergh, I mean, Ocean's Eleven is, is, in, this, is in the 21st century. That really hurts Matt Reeves there. So that'll do it. That movie yeah. alone, and then 12's, 12's a blast. I love again. I love Contagion. Um, Magic Mike's an awesome movie. You just kind of go. He made Haywire with Gina Carano, which is an action movie, which, which is the action movie he did, and it's great. Um, it's on Netflix right now. I would I, I would uh, recommend everyone to go watch it. And uh, yeah, so I think this is Soderbergh in a walk for me at least. Yeah, Matt Reeves just yeah. doesn't have enough on the filmography yet too. The tough matchup. He won, he won a smaller conference, I'd say. Yeah, no, he's a yeah. small conference guy. that got in, you know, impressed in the conference <laughs> tournament, but he ran into a, a, a behemoth. And, and there he goes. All right. Let's Last see. One. Let me check my text. No, no response from Brandon King yet. So we'll move on to the eighth matchup. Our last four today It is Peter Jackson against Robert Eggers. There may, we may see some fireworks in this one, folks. Peter Jackson isn't my cup of tea, so it's tough to say. Um, I, I'm a huge Eggers guy, though, so I, I mean, I lean Eggers personally because I love The Witch. I think it's a fascinating movie. It's it's one of the more under one of the most underrated movies of the previous decade. And then The Lighthouse is amazing. I love The Lighthouse <laughs> and all well, the stuff Willem Dafoe is doing in that movie, but. Lord of the Rings exists. I mean, it's kind of hard. Be, and all three of them are in this century. It's not like one came out in 98, the other one was in 2000. No, they're all here. Um, I would compare... It's a, a documentary, but they shall not grow old. It's that's the best piece of filmmaking incredible. I've seen this century, maybe. It's unbelievable what he did in that, in that film. It absolutely should count. It's it's ridiculous. It's it's dumb. If you can ever go and watch the behind the scenes of that, it is 
unbelievable what Peter Jackson did. And it just slaps that, that documentary is unreal. Yeah. He, and, yeah. he should win this just for that, in my opinion, and then throw Lord of the Rings on there. I don't, I, I like Eggers, but honestly, in my opinion, I don't think this is that close. I agree with Ethan. I, I, I love that. Yeah. Right, you talk about one for like if we did this in 2030 when he could add a few more films to the filmography and we can kind of see what else he accomplishes because he's you know two for two but he is only two for two and Jackson has this entire very influential franchise they shall not grow old King Kong's interesting at least it's a decent movie. It's not bad. It's way too long, but it's not bad. It is way too long, but it is entertaining when things are happening. Three hours and 21 minutes, I just pulled it up. <laughs> I know Lord of the Rings is, you know, a great franchise and whatnot, but it's also based off of something. When you talk about Edgar's work, it's a lot more original. And the amount, when I was reading up on The Lighthouse, the amount of work and research that went into creating such an original story down to even building their own 70-foot lighthouse because they couldn't find anything that fit the time period that they were shooting in, I think that's more impressive than taking a book and making sure you got most of the plot correct. But I think Jackson did more than that. He did. And I think with Lord of the Rings... Remember, this is early 21st century. Nothing like this has been had been attempted. No one had made a Lord of the Rings movie because it was too big. It was too epic to make. Peter Jackson said, bring it on. Let's go. And granted, he had story points all throughout from J.R.R. Tolkien, who's, you know, the, the great fantasy writer. But he was able to meld that into three movies. And something that was such a giant tale, they had to make it into three books, even though it's one book. He's able to meld that into three movies and this was at the when special effects CGI was not, you know, as accessible and easy to do as it is today. And he, it's not seamless because it's early 21st century, but the CGI in that, how he's able to use it is impressive for the time period it was made. Just the epic scale of what Jackson was able to do there, I think it's a lot harder to do than we realize. It probably no, I, Yeah, but. I agree with that part, Ethan. I just don't like those movies that much. I mean, the uh, there we movie, disagree. That, that's the part. That's the that's part that I just of kind of disagree take. with. Those are pretty beloved movies for the most yeah. part. I don't love the first one. I think it's very slow. But I again, every everybody loves the Lord of the Rings movies. The second and the third ones are awesome. Phenomenon. The first one's fine, and the other two are really great. So, yeah. Lord of the Rings like, two is like a action, like fun fest. That movie doesn't stop. And no. it, I kind of wish it did a couple times, but it, it's entertaining. I'll give you that. It's better than the first one. The first one's kind of boring. So uh, I, I Jackson should be the pick here, but I just love my boy Eggers. I just had to give a, a shout out. Shout to Robert Eggers, but this is a, I think this is a Jackson, probably a sweet, maybe five game series. It's a five yeah, game I, I series. Don't, I don't think this is the, this is the team with all the seniors. Versus a team that has some a couple upstart freshmen that are nice, but the rest of the team kind of stinks and is, is pretty non-existent. <laughs> and they, they just kind of, you know, just overwhelm them. All right. Yeah, I agree. So on goes Peter Jackson to the second round. Is this Jordan Peele? Oh, here we go. I have a text from Brandon King. Perfect timing. So we can decide this is our fifth matchup, Jordan Peele and Ryan Coogler. We were at an impasse. Koki and I were on the side of Kugler. Alex and Julia took Jordan Peele. We had to go to friend of the show, Brandon King, to decide this. 
And he said, you caught me right as I was going to sleep between those two. That's a damn good matchup. I agree. He said, here's what he says. Personally, I'd go with Kugler. Peel absolutely deserves the acclaim for everything Get Out did and even for the acclaim us got. But Kugler's filmography has been nothing less than spectacular. A star-making indie drama, a redefining of a classic franchise, and a comic book movie phenomenon, all of which has shown him to be at the top of his class, parentheses, at this age nonetheless, in all caps, with excellent relationships with his collaborators. He's so well-spoken. <laughs> I, I mean, that's, yeah, I couldn't put it any, any better. Exactly. It's, I mean, it's so <laughs> close. And remember, he was about to fall asleep when he wrote that. <laughs> so Kugler. Ryan Kugler moves on. By the way, shout out to Brandon King. You can find him at the movie King45, I think, on Twitter. Find him with his writing on the Odyssey. It's all great. You're definitely definitely want to check him out if you're hearing this and hearing us talk about Brandon King. But Ryan Kugler, because of Brandon King, moves on to round number two. So that is it for our first region of matchups, the, the Snyder Cut region. Mm-hmm. I like it. What's the next, what, what should we call the next region? Well, this Beach is the Harmony. Region? Yeah, this is the Harmony Corinne Ultimate Tournament. He's up next in our first matchup, actually. So, teaser there Harmony Corinne's up. <laughs> Will he upset Christopher Nolan? Find out next week <laughs> when we come back with the Beach Bum region of the Harmony Corinne Ultimate Tournament here on Real Talk. But before we leave you here, we've been watching movies because that's what we do. Some of us more than others. Shout out to Koki for watching, I think, 57,000 movies since uh, March. More or less. Something like that. I don't know. It's a <laughs> lot. I had to look back, to be honest. He's got to go count them all. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> we wanted to talk about a couple of the movies we've watched. And the way we decided to break this up is we're each going to give you a movie that we hadn't seen before and that we think maybe you haven't seen either. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but it's not, not a super well-known movie that we've seen. And we want to, you know, shed a little spotlight on that, shout that out, and then also talk about one movie that we re-watched recently and our thoughts on that. Who wants to go first? Doesn't matter to me. Alex? I guess if no one's going to step up, then uh, so should I start with, I guess I'll start with a movie that I hadn't seen before. Um, I watched, I, I've watched a couple of Coen Brothers movies throughout this break. I watched Hail Caesar and I watched, um, uh, the, uh, A Serious Man? Did you a, serious, a Serious Man. I don't know why I lost okay. that. What did you think uh, of Hail Caesar, Alex? I thought it was fun. Weird, but fun. Um, I don't know. I kind of had a blast with that. I had, I had fun with Josh Brolin's character the entire time. And, um, I thought it was kind of I a think- fun old look at Hollywood. In kind of I think the problem with that movie where people got upset with it and why it got kind of lambasted was it was not what people were expecting. I don't remember exactly what happened when it got released. I just remembered it was some sort of controversy with it. It was, it was really hyped up, and then it kind of got slammed by the critics. Uh, well, that's kind of happened in the past with the Coens. Like, people really hated The Big Lebowski when it came out, which sounds absurd. But um, people just was like, oh, this is just a dumb comedy when – reality that's a great great movie uh but yeah i i rewatched hail caesar because i hadn't seen it in a long time and i just kind of wanted to like get refreshed with it and it's okay 
it's a little stale to me it was just a little stale and it, it didn't the comedy doesn't work as well as it does in other cohen movies but if that's like one of your worst movies then you're doing something right i thought it was kind of a breeze to watch i thought it was just kind of a fun watch ultimately obviously i'd rather pop in the big lebowski or buster scruggs or you know i mean inside lewin davis but uh, I, I, I really wanted to talk more about A Serious Man because that was a movie I hadn't really heard much about at all. Um, and it's interesting. It kind of goes back to their Jewish roots, um, back where they grew up. And it's there's an interesting kind of point to the movie once you get there, but it's a lot of what's the point of it's It's, it's a lot of watching it and you're kind of trying to understand what the entire point of it is. Um, and then once you kind of get it, then you kind of get it. And it's a kind of interesting way to look at life. Um, but with a lot of like Jewish isms and like just kind of, you know, growing up with like a family and going through like, you know, marriage stuff and things feeling like your back's against the wall in life and then trying to figure your way out of it. Um, I thought it was a really interesting movie that I just hadn't heard anything about really. Um, so it's totally different than a lot of other Coen Brothers movies in like many senses because i feel it's a bit more personal but i i probably recommend it if you have an open mind for sure i know koki you've seen it yeah i watched this on a plane about six months ago and i just loved how it's shot i love the casting the casting of yeah. this movie is fascinating there isn't a single movie star in the whole movie michael stubarg's the biggest name but the rest of it it's just like all these that guys that look yes. Jewish and mm -hmm. act and fit perfectly into what the Coens want. No one's better at casting other than maybe Tarantino than the Coens. And again, there's got, there's a point to it that once you get to the end makes a ton of sense because everything else, the rest of the movie makes a lot more sense in that way. And it's just brilliantly written. The characters are really likable. Um, I, I don't know. I loved it. I really and, like a serious man. It's not my favorite Coens, but it's I think it's excellent. It was nominated for Best Picture for a reason. So their comedy seeps through in it a lot too, in a lot of subtle ways. Um, but anyway, that that'll that's my spiel on a serious man. I, it is on Netflix too, so it's easy to get if you can if you can get on Netflix. Mm. All right. Am I doing my rewatch too, or are we just doing each go through it? We can each go through it, you know, kind of break it up a little bit. All right. You're up then. <laughs> I'll go ahead. I watched a movie the other night. My, I, I, well, I wasn't sure. what Originally, mine was going to be Three Days of the Condor, a Robert Redford movie that not a lot of people heard of. I hadn't heard of it until I discovered it, I think, on Hulu and watched it. But I saw a movie the other night that I just can't help but talk about that I don't know if a lot of people have seen. And that's Stalag 17. It's an old Billy Wilder movie released, I believe, in 1953. But if you've ever seen The Great Escape, think about that. But And if you've ever seen Hogan's Heroes, think about those two things, but combined together. So kind of a little more of a, the humor of Hogan's Heroes with the quality filmmaking and seriousness of The Great Escape together with, and it stars William Holden as a sergeant that's at a POW camp in Nazi Germany during World War II and just about kind of that camp and how there, there might be a spy in amongst the POWs and them figuring that out. It, it is outstanding. I have a hot take that Koki's going to roll his eyes maybe. I think it's better than The Great Escape. Whoa. I'm not going to roll my eyes. I haven't seen it, so. 
No, but no, I know that's hot. I know it's spicy, but I mean, just it, it's a movie that can go from being drop dead hilarious. I, I don't laugh out loud very often during movies. There is one particular scene in this movie that I was actually laughing out loud a lot at. Like it can go from that to being really serious and taking a look at what life was like for POWs during World War II while still always having this kind of humorous edge to it. So it never got too, too serious. It's just perfectly made. Billy Wilder's a genius. He's a great director. And his his humor comes through very well in Stalag 17. Just a, a lot of 1950s that guys in that movie as well. <laughs> and so many character actors that do such a great job. It It's great. Especially if you like Hogan's Heroes, you have to watch Stalag 17. I highly recommend it. It's only two hours long, too. I don't know where you can find it. But if you can, definitely check it out. Hmm. Fascinating. Wait, where wait, where did you watch it on? Uh my my dad actually showed it to me and it was we have it on disc, so I'm not sure if there's anywhere online. I will look into that while someone else shares. Okay. All right, Julie. You can rent it on or... you can you can rent it on Amazon. Okay. Okay. Julie, do you want to share or do you want me to share? Okay, she's She's pointing at me to share. Um, <laughs> so I could pick from a whole bunch of movies here, but um, I'm going to, at first I was going to go with Haywire, which was the Soderbergh movie. Um, but since we already talked about that movie a little bit, I'm going to go with Requiem for a Dream, the 2000 Darren Aronofsky film. Um, this movie is nasty, just dark, cold, nasty film. It's about, um, it's starring Ellen Bernstein, Jared Leto, and Jennifer Connelly. Um, all three of them get involved in drugs in some way, and it just goes, you know, as you would expect. But it's done in a way that's just so that it would, they'll make you like never want to do a drug again. Um, it's it's such a provocative, thought-provoking film that probably goes too far into trying to provoke you. And other and it doesn't really let its like its actors act a lot. It, I mean, the, he's really probably over directing the movie, but the end of the movie was just so just affected me so much that I could like barely watch it, <laughs> and that's really hard to do. And I, I give this movie a lot of credit for that. And it, it, Aronofsky, th this guy just has a track record of simply provoking people mother is one of the most controversial movies of the cent of the century um i mean requiem for a dream of course and then black swan he was nominated for that that's a movie that nom got nominated for best picture so i don't know, I, I think he's a really i think aronofsky's a really talented guy really dark guy and someone we're going to talk about more as we go further into this um tournament actually so Requiem for a Dream, it's on HBO. So I would recommend it generally. Just be wary of how nasty it is. Yikes. Um, so for new stuff, I really haven't been watching a lot of new or movies I've never really seen. It's mostly been a lot of um, newer TV shows that have come out. But I want to talk about a movie I have seen that I'm kind of viewing in a different light right now. Um, I sent this link to Koki, which I find funny, and the fact that Koki and I actually watched this movie about two months ago, I guess now, and that is Atlantis, The Lost Empire. And recently, while I was on YouTube at about two in the morning, I found 
oh, about a two-hour documentary about the making of the movie Atlantis Lost Empire. I didn't know it existed. And it really took you through how the directors um, came up with the idea. And it's I find this to be really interesting because up until a point for Disney animation, they never animated so-called an adventure. Thr not really thriller, but you kind of get the point, more of an, an action-adventure type movie. And they talked about, it was about 20 or 30 minutes of the documentary about how much thought and research they put into Atlantis about how it may or may not be real and how they could develop a story to fit, um, kind of like make it real, make the audience believe that Atlantis could exist in this world that they've developed a movie in. And I just really uh, enjoy that kind of stuff. I love watching documentaries. I also watched a documentary about the making of Sleeping Beauty um, and how, uh, how long it took to animate it and the stipulations that went into the, making it the most be the so-called most beautiful Disney movie ever created versus keeping it Disney-like because the backgrounds in that movie that were painted and stylized to fit the medieval like 13 and 1400s where Sleeping Beauty is set does not really fit with some of the characters, such as the three fairies, who are very Disney-fied, if that makes any sense. So I've been watching a lot more of that kind of stuff. I love watching how things come together and how things are made. Hmm. Right on. That's interesting. So should Alex uh, start with uh, the rewatch movie then? I guess so. Um, All right. I, I guess I have to see Atlantis. I don't know if I've seen it since I was like really little. Same. Um, so maybe I'll maybe I have time to watch it if I can fit it into my schedule. Yeah, you know, decent. Yeah, yeah. there's some issues, but overall, I, I I appreciated it more. I still need to finish it. I have like about thirty minutes left, but the documentary just made it really cool. Huh. Interesting. All right, but uh, first I have to watch uh, Back to the Future three because uh, my rewatch was Back to the Future, um, and then I watched Back to the Future two for the first time and was you know, entertained but disappointed. Um, but anyway, Back to the Future 1 is such a blast. It's such a delight. I haven't seen it in a few years, and that's, like, the perfect, like, you're bored, but you want to feel good movie. Then you're just, like, you'll laugh, you'll smile, like, the entire time. Um, and, I mean, it's an all-time classic for a reason. I know you guys have, like, your list. I don't really have a list of, like, my top 100 movies or something like that, but it's got to be a top 100 movie as far as its quality is concerned, probably. Um, and as far as cultural relevance, it's probably like top 50 or if not higher than that. Um, but it's also just a delight. They're all three of them are on Netflix. I got to watch the third one, but, um, definitely one to tough. smile at. So I had fun. Watching. I, I like the third one better than the second one. The second one. Really? The third second one's one a disaster. So neither, neither of the sequels are particularly great in my opinion, but. I, the thing with Back to the Future is you talk about how much of a delight it is, Alex, and you kind of touched on this, is it's not just the delight. It's it's a really, really well-made movie. Like, there's yes, not a lot of flaws in that movie. 100 in quality. Definitely. Yeah. Koki, yeah. uh, Michael yeah. Fox voices um, Milo Thatch. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So oh, this well, is a big Michael J. Fox conversation here. Um, <laughs> I, I I mean, back. To, I, I hadn't seen Back to the Future in, like, 10 years, so I, I popped it on, like, oh, really? weeks ago. Yeah, I hadn't seen the movie in a long time. So I'm like, I'm like, oh, wait, yeah, that. And so I was like kind of re-remembering -re things on the fly. But I'm like, man, this movie is just great. And I'm like, how have we not talked about this movie like at all on our, on our show in two years is beyond me. But 
Yeah, I love Back to the Future. Zemeckis does a brilliant job. I think Michael J. Fox is perfect for that role. Um, it's like he almost simple. Wasn't I know. I mean, I, they shot scenes without him in it, and then they like fired. Um, I forgot Eric who, Stoltz. but Eric Stoltz was supposed. They shot three weeks of scenes. With Eric Stoltz. They take him off the set, and because he just wasn't bringing the comedy vibe that the film needed. Um, and then they brought in Michael J. Fox, and he was perfect. And the movie became just this. It, it, it became a classic. So, yeah, I really wanted to have this Back to the Future conversation because we just haven't really talked about it that much. It's really yeah. fun. I enjoy that movie a lot. I it's hate a great movie, one, but the first one's awesome. I didn't hate the second not- one. I don't like it but, at all. It it's not even its own movie. They they couldn't make a sequel without banging on the fact that the first one was so good. Uh, that's hard to argue against. That is true. Um, they do go back to the first movie to be fair. entirely it, you, <laughs> yeah. entirely and it. But that was kind of the point. It is time travel, so you kind of have to go. That that is kind of the point. But it, it does a lot of, on it like too much. Too much. There's just so much. I think there's too much time hopping in that movie. I'm like, oh wait, I forgot they went back to, to 1955 when I watched Back to the Future 2 again. Um, I'm like, okay, I knew they went to the future, and then they go back to the future, and then they go back to 1985, and it's completely even that's completely different. And then they yeah. have to go back to 1955 again, and then it goes to the 18th, and then it keeps on like referencing that the fact that the third movie is going to go to 1885. It's just a lot of just too much stuff's going on. I think. Yeah, Even though I, mean, I think the core idea of it is really good, and, and that's the, the uh, sports betting thing, which I think or- was brilliant. The original plot of that movie is nowhere to be found a half hour later. You realize that? It's like the original, yeah. the original plot of them going to 2015 is just totally forgotten. It's messy. The whole movie is really messy. Um, they had a good idea, but they just added too much stuff around that idea, I feel like. So. I feel like it's one of those situations where Zemeckis like, had such a success with the first movie that they kind of let him go on his own with the second movie. And that's dangerous for any filmmaker to not have someone mm-hmm. going, does that make sense? Does that totally work? It kind of feels almost like that situation there where he had a great idea, had almost too much control and tried to make too much happen where someone was like, ah, I like don't know, that. Robert. I mean, there are a ton of movies like that. I mean, we can go oh, down. Definitely. Almost every great director's had that one movie where it's like, you're just doing way too much. Like, Dark Knight Rises is, is that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Magnolia for Paul Thomas Anderson, that's his. That's that for him. Um, I mean, you can kind of just go down the line, and everyone has that, that movie where they're just doing too much. And for me, that's us, in a way, even though that's one of the better movies when we look at that sort of list. But, you know, it happens. Some, you, some, you need, sometimes you need someone to say no. And the prequels, right? The Star yeah, Wars. That's prequels. the classic example. They're yeah. perfect. Stop it. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, Back to the Future Two is is certainly that, and then Back to the Future Three really just falls off the rails. Like, why are we going to eighteen eighty five? Kind of intrigued because we can. <laughs> exactly. It's like, come on. It, it, there's some really weird stuff happens in that movie, but I, but again, Back to the Future, great movie. Yes, just I love the opening too. With like we're going through all like the fun little gadgets and uh, I don't know the music's wonderful in it. Yeah, it's incredible. We're, we'll talk more yeah. about Zemeckis later. So, uh, spoiler: he will be in our tournament. 
Back I to mean, the Future will not be one of his movies in that tournament. Yeah. Um, who's think, going next? I think I'm up. Uh, yeah. Movie I rewatched recently was Into the Spider Verse. It's a more recent rewatch, but I hadn't seen it since I saw it in theaters, and my mom hadn't seen it, and my family was appalled by this fact, and so we immediately showed it to her. What do you think? And it, it's the same thing the second time around, and that's a high compliment. There, it was. It's just, it's a piece of art, man. The story is solid. It's there's a lot of great stuff going on there, but forget the story. It's just art, and you know me. I'm not. I'm the type. I'm the story dude. I'm always hitting on that. I don't always care so much about oh look at that shot or that. That's important, but it's not my main thing. With Spider Verse, I. It is just ridiculous what they were able to do with the animation. The old cliche is it looks like a comic book, but it does more than that too. The way they're able to use layering and other things and different styles of art within the same shot where, and the way it was, it's able to contrast with the great color palette they use. It's, it's ridiculous. I think, I think we've yet to see the impact that movie has on the world of animation. I think it's too early to say just with what they're able to do and that and on superhero films in general. I mean, if you want an authentic superhero film, if you're a comic book fan, there you go. Right there. Even the way, Ethan, they were able to animate um him at different speeds, you know, when he's flying through, um, when he's just learning how to use like the spider webs like swinging through the trees. They animated him at different speeds versus to the more superior Spider Man, um, just to show the correlation that he's still learning. And it is just like a technique that you'd never really seen before. It was awesome. Yeah, Spider Verse is great. I don't think this is, we've talked about this movie no, a lot. Debate there. It's just kind of <laughs> not anything you've ever seen on a screen before. Speaking of the animation, yeah. Julian, kind of one of those like little nuanced things. You know, I have my nitpicks every once in a while. This is a positive nitpick that I just I noticed it in one scene. I couldn't stop paying attention to it. Uh, the way they animate the Doc Ock, the lady's arms because it's not the mechanical arms like you would normally see on Doc Ock in the original world, but she's different because, and just some of the way they're able to have some of those differences. Like I noticed this time that instead of NYPD in this dimension, they're PDNY. Mm-hmm. Just some of those little differences and the way they animate her arms are like, uh, they're like plastic, like a plastic resin type thing with air that moves through them. And then they kind of makes it so they can move. And just the way they animate that, is really spectacular. And I just kind of picked up on one scene and I couldn't help noticing it the rest of the movie. It's so good. You're right. It's going to be a feat for a long time. Well, um, I guess I'll go then. Uh, for my rewatch, I'm going with Apocalypse Now. Um, I kind of need, need to see this again because I, last time I saw it, I was like half asleep for whatever reason and I kind of just watched it. Uh, but this time I really just wanted to sit down, put it on my big TV here in the basement and just watch Apocalypse Now. And it is, and the action scenes are just unbelievable. The first two hours of this movie is like unassailably perfect. Um, the amount of like just big name, name actors just kind of come in and out of the movie are fascinating. Martin Sheen is, has an unbelievable performance. And I, this Francis Ford Coppola guy is pretty good, good pretty good at making movies. So I, I just wanted <laughs> to shout out um, Apocalypse Now and the, you know, the, the five minutes Harrison Ford's in it, <laughs> for example. Um, 
all this, you, you, just all the stuff Robert Duvall is doing. It, it, it's Apocalypse Now is an incredible film from start to finish, and I, I, I just couldn't believe some of the things that they were doing from an action sense, and with helicopters and explosives, and and it. it, it, it and some of these like these war beach scenes are just like, how did they do this in 1979? I will never understand because it's all just so tactile because today, if you did this, these scenes, they would be on a green screen or you'd have the technology to, to pull it off like in 1917. I, I don't understand how they, how they made this movie just this authentic and this feel that real. And with those kind of shots 41 years ago, it just blows me away. So I recommend that if you haven't seen it, watch it. So its proximity to when it came out and the Vietnam War is really interesting too. Mm. I mean, the Vietnam War only ended what, like four or five years earlier. Exactly. And they come out with this movie, and it just feels like you're watching the Vietnam War. It doesn't feel like you're watching a movie. It's just unbelievable. And while the story itself was also really interesting, and and you get into that in certain scenes as well. And there's, there's this one moment where they, where the boat gets ambushed and like the first like, sh like firecracker shot comes in. I literally like move out of my seat. <laughs> and, and that's, and that's like impossible to do I mean, this movie came out 40, again, this movie came out 41 years ago. It wasn't like I was watching it in 3d. So I don't know. I was really blown away by apocalypse now, especially the first two hours. Very good. Julia, what's your pick? Movie that I rewatch and incidentally learn more by watching the Sleeping Beauty documentary is 101 Dalmatians. What I didn't know about this movie is that the same animator who animated Aurora and Maleficent also animated Cruella de Vil. And I think that's awesome. And they talked, Mark Davis, who's the animator, by the way, he talked about how he preferred animating Cruella DeVille to Maleficent because she really bounces off the characters and how she plays in the movie. And for whatever reason, I feel like she's not talked about in the realm of Disney villains who's terrifying. This woman wants to kill puppies for her own good and make fur coats out of them. And at one point she asks Horace and Jasper if they have any chloroform, which of course as kids, we don't know what that is. Um, and the style of background in early and even like late 50s and 60s Disney animation style is never one that we're going to see again. One, because of advancement. And two, there's become sort of, and I don't, you know, I don't blame them for it. They're still, you know, advancing in animation style. But the background artist style from back then will never be seen again. And, you know, the stylized, even from Roger's uh, Bachelor's Flat, to the park and how they played off the snow with the dogs. I just think it's it's a really fun movie. It has two of the best stooges probably in in Disney uh, animated movies. And I think Corella Deville is just a fabulous film. No, I can't agree. I totally agree on Corella Deville. I'm not talking about that. I mean, like you said, she wants to kill puppies. <laughs> <laughs> I just I don't know. New Age Disney has really left a lot of the older classics kind of in the dust. Um, and it's just kind of a shame, you know, there's still a lot of, you know, a lot of glory in all of those movies, a lot of good stuff, so. I watched this movie recently too, and I was surprised at how entertained I was the entire time. Cause I hadn't seen it since I was like four. So I was just and like, voice acting. why not? And then I was just like, 
this is really great. I think the entire thing. So I, if, you, if you have Disney Plus and you have an, like an hour and what is it, hour and 28 minutes or something like that, yeah. maybe a little longer. It's so true. I didn't even think it breaches an hour and a half. Yeah, but it's it's fun. It's definitely a fun movie. And, you know, from the more iconic Disney movies up to a certain point, that doesn't get talked about really anymore. Definitely. It's no 101 Dalmatians too. But. Oh, for God's sakes. Have you seen that? Because I've seen that. <laughs> Unfortunately. And it was a long, Emma long Stone time ago. Corella DeVille, which is weird. She's not in the movie. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not a good movie. Emma and then there's the live Corella action. Here we go. The live action is non-existent to me. But, there's a so parody and no. Hopefully that is better. Who did they ca- didn't they cast Emma Stone as Cruella Emma, Emma Stone is going to be Cruella Deville. Yeah. I new live action. Those those are interesting to me. The older live action 101 Dalmatians is just No, those are trash. Uh, you respect Glenn Close as Cruella Deville? I respect Glenn Close. I do not respect her as Cruella Deville. <laughs> <laughs> Emma Stone is Crow the Villa is a weird casting, but I trust Emma Stone's acting. So yeah, definitely that makes sense. She's a really expressive actor, and that's a really expressive character. So it kind of fits in that sort of sense. It depends the way what way they want to go with it too. So it's so um, funny. One more one more quick thing on the expressiveness of Crow the That was one. That was the reason why Mark Davis loved to animate and to draw her because with Maleficent, he said it was so hard to draw a character that rarely speaks to anyone except to herself and the raven. All she really has to act off of is this raven, Diablo, who's just kind of like there, perched on her shoulder and whatnot. And Corral Deville is constantly talking to char- you know, other characters, but Maleficent is very rigid and um, stiff. And her movements are very calculated. And here's this Corral Deville who's kind of like waving her hands all over the place and you know drives pretty crazily throughout. So... I don't know the the contrast. I can't believe it's the same animator who did both. You wouldn't. I would never have known. Hmm. All right. So those are some new movies we think you should check out, and some movies we rewatched and you know maybe saw in a different light. Maybe not. I mean, we will be back next week with the next section of the first round of our twenty first century directors bracket big matchup: Harmony Corinne and Chris Nolan to you know kind of. Tee it up for you guys. You're not going to want to miss that. That's going to be, we're going to duke it out. And then we'll, of course, have the rest of those matchups as well and some other movie discussion, but that'll be coming up next week. We hope to do this weekly throughout the rest of the summer, and then we'll see what happens once school gets started again in the fall. But thank you for tuning in. For Cody Riley, Alex Weiner, Julius Orgy, I'm Ethan Jordan. We'll see you next week. Bye.